This is BioBusters, Professors Hanging Out Talking Science, episode number 16, recorded on August 6, 2019. listening to the podcast that takes you beyond the classroom and into the trenches of science. I'm Dr. Abby Abdallah and I'm here with Dr. Fawner. How are you doing today? I'm doing swell. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. Swell, eh? Well and swell. I like the rhyming there, Dr. Seuss. I <laughs> I have not heard swell in a really long time. My dad used to use it and you know I figured I'd bring it back. It's, well, yeah, uh, the 1970s call. Uh-huh. Yeah, you want uh, they want their <laughs> terminology like their back. back. Uh-huh. Cool, cool. And how are uh class prep? Pretty good. Um, you know, getting through lectures here and there, starting to get uh, you know, full lectures in place and kind of just putting together different case studies and different activities for class. How about you? Fun times, man. Yeah, I'm, uh, I've am i got my first lecture this week, actually, uh, in a That's couple exciting. days on Friday. And, uh, you know, it's all done. I posted it online. Uh, well, now it's just the, I guess, the excitement, not necessarily nerves or, you know, getting nervous, but it's now... Just getting in there. You, you, you know? just want yeah, to go in and yeah. do it now. I belong in the classroom. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I had to eventually post it. The more I looked at it, the more I would tweak it to perfect it. And there's no such thing as a perfect lecture, right? Exactly. Because you can always improve on lectures. So eventually I just uh, I just decided to just post it and, you know, be done with it. No, I'm of the opinion, once you stop working on even one lecture or a series of lectures and you get to that point where you think nothing more can be done with it, Oh, there's, um, there's more that there, can be done. You, you never yeah. stop learning, never stop yeah, fixing. Absolutely. So. Well, cool, man. Um, so today is August 6th, right? Yep. And uh, it happens to be uh, Sir Alexander Fleming's birthday. Which is very ironic because it, it is. is going to be central to our discussion today. And we did not plan this. This we was actually didn't. Yeah, this was uh, uh, unbelievable. We decided Pure to happenstance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We decided to record on August six, and uh, we're going to be talking about bacteriophages and phage therapy, and yep. maybe you know alternative to antibiotics. And uh, the person credited with the discovery of antibiotics, particularly penicillin, is uh, Fleming. And he was Scottish, right? A Scottish bacteriologist. Yeah. He discovered penicillin uh, while he was working on the flu virus back in 1928. Is that correct? Yeah. So uh, after the uh, flu pandemic of 1918, right, the Spanish Mm -hmm. flu pandemic, a lot of microbiologists at the time sort of uh, uh, really started focusing on uh, germ uh, or you know germ causes of disease we, mm-hmm. you know at that point it had been already established the germ theory had the germ been theory already was already in right? place yeah between uh, robert coach and louis pasteur but yeah so he was working on uh influenza virus he was growing a a, a couple different things in his lab and uh, he had uh, noticed that one of his culture plates that had the bacteria staphylococcus uh, growing on it uh-huh uh, developed uh, effectively a mold that was contaminated with and a mold. And this was, as with every kind of contamination, accidental. 
which oh yeah of course i mean yeah, no, no one plans on contaminating me. talk about you know an incredible <laughs> but a good stroke accident. of luck yeah. and completely fortuitous in that he noticed on this staff culture plate that a mold had created a bacteria free culture or circle rather around itself so yeah effectively where the mold was on the bacteria it turns out that it prevented the growth of uh, staphylococcus and what microbiologists observe on these plates when they do these different types of studies an inhibitory zone right yeah so kind of a hallmark of bacterial inhibition studies on these different plates Right, and what he uh, 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 one of the quotes attributed to him is that uh, you know if you see something anomalous in a lab, uh, don't necessarily throw it out. Pay attention to it before you throw it out. Exactly. Right? Nine out of ten times, it's an anomaly that you should probably ignore. Uh, but that one out of ten, uh, well, is... then you get lucky. Right. Right. You're credited with. I mean, when he discovered this and he named that active substance right penicillin so the mold was penicillium mm -hmm. yep right and he named the uh, drug or active substance penicillin after the mold and yep. found that it is highly effective of killing staphylococci even when diluted up to 800 times exactly and what this purely accidental happenstance discovery led him to the Nobel Prize for Physiology or Medicine in 1945. Right. And that was with Ernst Boris Chain and Howard Walter Florey. So, yeah. Yeah, they all shared the Nobel Prize uh, in 1945. And you know what's interesting is uh, it's fairly common for Nobel Prizes to sort of uh, be given uh, after a discovery has sort of proven its merit. Yeah. Right. And even though penicillin was discovered in 1928 and probably, you know, purified, mass distributed uh, within a few years after that, yeah. its uh, effect at saving lives was not acutely felt till World War II. Yeah. And uh, the amount of lives that it was able to save there from uh, what would have been lethal uh, injuries. Uh, so 15 wars. to 20 years later. It yeah, pretty much. Effectively, took, you know, the full potency, I guess, or full incredible effect of penicillin to actually be, I guess, appreciated. Yeah. So it took until 1945 for the for um, Fleming to get his recognition or due recognition. Yeah, and you know, one quote that I found uh, by him that uh, you know is so foretelling. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, it's a slightly long quote, but I will read it because it talks about uh, the abuse of the antibiotic and po possible uh, development of uh, antibiotic resistance. Yeah. Uh, the quote effectively says, so one of the things that he had said or written down, the greatest possibility of evil in self-medication, and he's talking about the use of penicillin here, obviously, mm -hmm. is the use of two small doses so that instead of clearing up the infection, the microbes are educated to resist penicillin and a host of penicillin fast organisms, so he, he, here he means penicillin-resistant organisms, right? Yes. Is bred out, which can be passed on to other individuals and perhaps from there to others until they reach someone who gets septicemia or pneumonia, which penicillin cannot save. In such a case, the thoughtless person playing with penicillin treatment is morally responsible for the death of the man who finally succumbs to infection with the penicillin-resistant organism, 
I hope this evil can be averted. So really effectively, he's foretelling right. the current issue that we face and have faced for you know a little while now, um, which is the backbone of antibiotic resistance and the right. deadly effects that stem from that. And we'll come back to antibiotic resistance and how soon they develop after you know they are used on bacteria or whatever. But uh, let's sort of move on a little bit. So today we're going to talk about phage therapy, right, or mm -hmm. a bacteriophage therapy. So why don't we start with bacteria? What are bacteria? So these are going to be single-celled organisms that are typically found both kind of in multiple places everywhere outside of the body, but also pretty much everywhere inside of the body, right. except on of the course body. some pretty... Uh, some pretty special places that you don't want bacteria to be found in, such as the blood and the um, cerebrospinal fluid. That's definitely a place where you have bacteria in there, you're in trouble. Right. But they're effectively um, uh, forms of life, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and there are thousands and thousands of different bacteria. Only a small proportion can cause disease to humans. And again, I think that's one maybe misconception that we can clear up here, which we are want to do with the podcast is that you know many bacteria are not harmful and in fact some are actually quite beneficial so oh, yeah. the majority are actually not harmful and a lot yeah. have been uh, co-opted or are used by humans and have been used for thousands and thousands of generations exactly to uh uh, help help our lives right so you well, know think about the gut microbiota yeah, and just well, how important sure. that microbiome is to efficient digestion and the even diseases and disorders we've talked about on this podcast but even in general stem. just sort of like uh day-to-day -day living right think yeah. of the bacteria that are used to produce yogurt or yeah uh, cheese or different probiotics uh, yeah, yeah. Fer Correct. fermentation products things yes. like that right so um Although that's a yeast, but, you know, not to confuse people. But anyway, Semantics. Yeah, right, right. So uh, bacteria, uh, those that can uh, cause disease, right? Uh, mm -hmm. How do you, how, how, how are most bacterial diseases treated? Let's say you're sick with a strep throat. You go to the doctor. What, what is the doctor going to do? So the doctor, if he's worth his merit, or is she. showing he or she, thank you, he or she, if they are worth their merit, will prescribe what is known as an antimicrobial drug, otherwise known as an antibiotic, right? And hopefully after some testing to see if you... Oh, yes, uh, of course. But let's say you definitely have strep throat, right? And definitely have strep throat, something that is due to a bacteria, correct? Uh -huh. And again, another misconception is if you have a virus, viruses cannot be treated uh, with the use of antibiotics. No, only, antibiotics only work on bacteria. Even though exactly. people go to the doctor and they think like, oh, he, didn't get, he or she didn't give me an antibiotic. I'm not going to get better. I'm like, well, you have the cold. It's not accurate. Exactly. Right. And again, this will tie in. I'm sure we'll reference it a few times in this episode where some people might abuse or wrongly use antibiotics right. to treat what is a virus and that is eventually going to feed into antibiotic resistance. And but, it's not just overuse, it's misuse as well. And that's, uh, yeah, right. what I just said. Yeah, right. misuse Absolutely. and then, of course, overuse to treat a particular, you know, illness. So antibiotics are a class of substances or drugs that are used to kill bacteria, right? And, of course, you know, once Alexander Fleming discovered this, the first antibiotic in 1927, after they were used in the 40s, I mean, think about 
how that advanced medical care, medical treatment oh, tremendous. to reduce the risks right. of death due to illness. I right. mean, before then, what could you effectively do to Wait treat? Wait I mean, just pray if, yeah. if that's what you do. <laughs> right. And, you know, by a stroke of luck, maybe you survive it. And then if you're unlucky, you might die. Yeah. But after the 40s, I mean, this transformed, turned medicine kind of 180. So... Right, right. So uh, let's talk about, so uh, you you can become resistant to uh, uh, antibiotics, right? Yes. How does resistance develop? So, I mean, what is resistance? And there's a, there's a huge myth behind that too, right? People yeah. think that antibiotics induce resistance or whatever, right? We're going to well, talk about that. Antibiotic resistance um, evolves naturally. Naturally. Correct. Via natural selection and what is one of the key concepts that underlie uh, natural selection? Well, that's going to be random, random mutations, mutations yeah. of course. Yeah, okay. um, so through various different mechanisms and uh, conditions, with kind of over-treatment, over-use of antibiotics, eventually over time, and as we know with bacterial reproduction, uh, well, yeah, many, e many, many, many E. coli divides uh, every 20 minutes. Exactly. The timeline for evolution from a human perspective is Insane. quite slow, right? But from the bacterial level, I mean, evolution can happen incredibly rapidly. Within a day. Exactly. So uh, you have a bacteria that divides, and every time a bacteria divides, it tries to uh, copy the DNA with extreme fidelity, right? Yes. And you try to do that as well. As a eukaryotic organism, as an animal, you try to do that. But then every once in a while, you're going to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, prokaryotic organisms are more prone to mistakes than eukaryotic organisms to start off with. So bacteria is a prokaryotic organism, a human is a eukaryotic organism. Yes. Not as many foolproof uh, sort of uh, checking mechanisms. Mechanisms, right? exactly. And the other thing is they divide much, much faster, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, there's an increased chance of making mistakes. And every once in a while, a bacteria can make a mutation that all of a sudden uh, makes it uh, resistant to an antibiotic, either developing a mechanism to destroy that antibiotic or developing a mechanism to avoid the action of the antibiotic, etc., so on and so forth. Right? And the when, key thing there that you are emphasizing is because of how proliferative and how easily um, these bacteria can reproduce, so, I mean, just over and over within a small period of time, eventually you could be faced with an entire population of bacteria that now have that resistance Right. And what was previously a fairly potent antibiotic that could inhibit the growth or even kill that specific bacteria, now that bacterial organism is fully resistant. Right. Exactly. Right. The antibiotic is useless. So and you can also have where a bacterium or a single bacterial species can actually carry several resistance genes. Right. Correct? So think about this. So let's say one bacteria develops resistance against penicillin, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, what happens, let's say you have a population of 100 bacteria, one of them randomly mutates, uh, is now resistant against penicillin, 99 will die, the one will still be alive. And that's and then, all it takes. And then go on to be sort of your founder population, right? Exactly. If that one organism is able to survive and then proliferate and reproduce right. one on One become its own. two, then four, then eight, then et cetera. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you have a penicillin-resistant uh, organism. Exactly. Right? And let's say you come in, you say, okay... We're going to treat with the second antibiotic, right? Yes. 
and second antibiotic kills 99% of these bacteria, one survives, and all of a sudden now you have uh, a penicillin-resistant organism and an organism resistant to the second uh, antibiotic. And yes. this is how you end up with multi-resistance or super effectively a superbug. Yeah. Exactly. So multi-drug resistance. So uh, you'll see sometimes that as MDR or whatever, right, mm -hmm. in literature. And multiple studies have demonstrated and confirmed that improper usage and patterns of antibiotics have greatly affected the overall number of resistant organisms that are able to eventually develop, correct? Right. Right. It's very tightly linked to how you were using a particular antibiotic, when and to what degree. And I mean, this is an, this is an issue that has been stemming for decades now. This isn't just an issue right. that popped up fairly recently, it's been a problem, you know, multiple decades in the making. Of course, yeah, multiple, uh, you're right, you're right. And then the thing about bacteria is that uh, not only can they pass on the gene to their offspring, uh, sometimes uh, they can pass on the resistant gene to other member members of their species that are not their offspring. So you're talking about horizontal transfer. Horizontal correct? transfer, absolutely. Yep. And uh, effectively, uh, uh, these are the famous uh, Fred uh, Griffiths experiment. Yes. Right, or Griffith, I think his name is. Mm -hmm. uh, 1920s, 27, 28, something Somewhere like that. Somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, and uh, uh, he discovered how one bacteria can transform the other one, hence the name transformation. Yep. For when a bacteria picks up effectively a piece of genetic information that now endows it with a new property. And again, we're now describing yet another way in which this resistance can be, I guess you could say, assimilated by another and, and bacterial. Spread. Exactly. Yeah. We're talking about spreading here. Reproduction, horizontal transfer. And vertical it's, transfer is reproduction, right? Exactly. Um, it, it's amazing to think just how easily resistance can occur to a single or multiple different antibiotics. In fact, how this situation didn't come up and become a greater health concern years ago is, you know, a little surprising. But I mean, scientists have been sounding the alarm for uh, over a decade now, if not more, right? Yeah. And uh, now not only are there multi-drug uh, resistant bacteria, there are uh, uh, fungi that are resistant uh, yes. to uh, drugs. There are parasites that are resistant to drugs, so on and so forth, right? And now think about the, the overall factors, right? We've talked about um, overuse of antibiotics, mm -hmm. um, incorrect diagnoses by medical professionals. So again, so using an know, antibiotic when you didn't need one. Exactly. Such as when you have a virus. Or using the wrong antibiotic for wrong the antibiotic. wrong bacteria, right? Yes. Um, unnecessary prescriptions, prescribing uh -huh. an antibiotic uh, when it's not really needed. Not finishing a course of antibiotic exactly. that kills off that, all the pathogenic bacteria. I'm glad you brought that up. That is a key one, you know. Um, you know, I just I've had known... that argument with a friend of mine. Yeah. Uh, who's, you know, not a scientist, not a fault of his own. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I don't think he listens to the podcast, but... Uh, oh, he sure will now. Well, <laughs> I'll let him know that I talked about him. But, uh, it, you know, he had a, a sort of a, a dysentery, right? Or dysentery, depending on whether you're UK or US. We've got a few UK listeners. That's a shout out for well, you. Well, at least we said both. So we made everybody happy. <laughs> right, right. And, um, uh, you know, some dysbiosis, right? Uh, they gave him a course of antibiotics. 
Uh, he was supposed to take it for two weeks, took it for about 10 days, uh, felt great after a few days, right? And then decided, oh, I'm going to stop taking it. Yeah. And um, and that's, I mean, that's incorrect. Yeah, that's... I pretty much had a heart attack when he said that to me. But <laughs> I'm like, no, you can't do that, right? So I'm like yelling at this guy to try to like uh, get him to uh, see. And, you know, I explained that. I knew that yelling guy. was going to come into play in, <laughs> at some point. But that's continue. my uh, mode of operation. <laughs> uh, no kidding. So, but no, I explained it to him, right? And but yeah, it's 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 more common than you think it is, right? Yes. And uh, you know, it, uh, people do it all the time, or they have extra uh, pills of antibiotics, uh, or they either don't finish it. Sometimes, you know, what they do, they flush it down the toilet. Yeah, no, I've you know heard stories such as that, and right. again, anything wrong that you can imagine doing—that's what we're talking about here. But we're also putting a lot of antibiotics in livestock food additives, right? Yes. Uh, for growth promotion, uh, we so it's ending up in the food supply. Of course, again, this is not a you know scary episode or whatever. But no, of course, we're getting but, facts. But, well, yeah, we're overusing antibiotics yes. at the end of the day. So, and with all of this antibiotic resistance. Uh, you see a lot of cases of infections that are now um, almost impossible to treat. Exactly, if they're being caused by one of these nasty, uh, resistant um, bacteria. Yes. Yeah. Which brings us to our topic today. Which is, of course, going to be a new... No, well, Not no, new. correct. I uh, corrected myself. Um, a novel method... That has been I mean, around what? No new versus novel, but I guess you can quibble over the semantics. But I still think about it as an how about innovative method for the West for for the West for yes. the West, yeah. An innovative method for potentially inhibiting or killing um, the spread and growth of certain bacteria that might make the use of antibiotics somewhat obsolete, uh, or at least maybe something in conjunction with right. Yes. So so. Everybody knows about viruses, right? We've heard about viruses. There are these particles that, you know, infect you, blah, 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 right? Yes. What a lot of people don't know, a lot of people outside of science-related fields don't know, is that there are viruses that actually infect bacteria. And what are those called? Those are known as phages. Or bacteriophages exactly. is sort of the full name. And phage, phago, meaning to eat from Greek, and bacteriophages are... Uh, viruses that eat bacteria and effectively to summarize it really quickly is that uh, they have the capability of lysing a bacterial cell or and breaking lysing, it apart of course, breaking it apart right and so the i guess overall basic life cycle in terms of how these phages accomplish their mission a phage will come in attached to this type of protein on the surface of a bacteria known as a receptor. receptor. They attach, the phage then inserts its genetic material into the host bacterium. Uh -huh. um, that genetic material will then undergo viral replication inside of the host. Uh -huh. So this will involve replication, eventual transcription, translation, and transcription, of course, DNA to mRNA and then translation mRNA into protein. Right, so and then when you have all that protein, you have all the building blocks of a new bacterial, uh, or, or a new bacteriophage, a new virus. Exactly, so then these kind of packages of newly made viral particles will eventually escape 
from the host cell. So this host cell is kind of incubating and housing this oh, I like, production. It, I like the word incubator it, because right? that's effectively what it is. I, I mean, mean it's, it, the host cell is now acting as an incubator, right. allowing for the growth and production of these new viral thousands, proteins. Thousands, thousands we're talking about. Right. And then eventually they're going to escape from the host cell via lysis. So, and, you know, lysis is cellular breakdown of membranes. Exactly. So this leads to the death of the host cell and the release and freedom of the brand new <laughs> phage particles. And as a result, uh, what you just inadvertently uh, done as a bacteriophage is kill the bacteria. Exactly. Because you just lysed it. Now, one key distinction that we need to make here, right, is that there are two overall subtypes of phages in terms right. of their mechanism of action. And that is right? important. Yes. Uh, first is the lytic cycle, which is what we just described. Right. Uh, the um, genomic material from the phage is injected inside, undergoes transcription, translation, eventually, for lack of a better term, blows up the host cell and then escapes. Well, there is a better term, but we're, we're going to let it go. Sure. <laughs> the other subtype of phage is known as a lysogenic phage, which also integrates their genome into the host genome. So, Actually, so uh, uh, quick clarification, I misspoke. Right, right yeah, 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 yeah. So it attaches, injects the genome, but instead of immediately uh, going through the replication machinery and producing more viral particles, you get emerging. It, exactly. It, it, yeah. it integrates the genome of the phage into the host bacterial genome. Yes. And what that means is that every time the bacteria divides, copying its own DNA, it also copies the bacteriophage's DNA. Because now you have that merging. Merging that into between the bacterial, bacterial DNA. DNA and the phage DNA. That's right. Yep. And uh, it, it stays dormant, effectively, integrating into that uh, host genome till some sort of environmental or physiological stress that uh, effectively forces a switch from a lysogenic cycle into the lytic, into the lytic cycle, where then the uh, uh, genome of the bacteriophage now is excised or uh, escapes from the genome of the host cell, enters a lytic cycle, and follows the pathway we described earlier. Exactly. So eventually, a lysogenic bacteriophage is also uh, bactericidal, meaning that it can kill bacteria. Yes. Right. But it does not do it right away. No, it the takes lytic some time. one does it right away. Exactly. So, when were uh, bacteriophages discovered? So they were actually independently discovered a lot earlier than I would assume most people believe. In fact, the early 1900s. In 1915, some work was done by Frederick Twort, which I believe you had told me previously English. English, yeah, okay. I think. And then in 1917 by Felix Durrell, or if somebody had a much more pleasant sounding French accent. Felix. There we go. So um, they, uh, Durrell actually. 1917, he was a few years behind, but they were uh, both credited with the discovery of, of the uh, phages. Yeah, and uh, Durrell went on to do some clinical work. He successfully treated chickens that were infected with salmonella using um, phage work. And he also treated patients who were diagnosed with um, bacillary uh, dysentery. Yeah, and uh, I think that was a clinical study in India, actually, uh, with the bacillary, uh, bacillary dysentery. And, oh, uh, I didn't know it was in India. That's Well, that's maybe the cholera one was in India. He uh, also did a clinical trial with, with cholera. Okay. Uh, and he also, I think, uh, did uh, treatment of water supplies, water wells, okay. uh, that had these bacteria yeah. causing... 
uh, these, uh, you know, di diuretic uh, dysentery. Yeah. Uh, he treated water supplies with phages as well. Very cool. So he did establish uh, some clinical relevance for bacteriophages early on. Yeah. But, uh, so what are some of the benefits of using phages to, to kill bacteria? Well, obviously, number one, first and foremost, they're actually able to kill bacteria. Right. Um, it was initially thought that resistance was going to be very unlikely with the use of bacteriophages. Meaning bacteria getting resistant to the phage. Exactly. But that's been demonstrated to not necessarily be the case. Right. It's just a bit harder for resistance to occur uh -huh. with the use of bacteriophages compared with the use of antibiotics. Um, the toxicity was believed to be fairly reduced, so a little bit safer um, to use bacteriophages compared to the use of antibiotics. Right. I mean, I would say a lot safer, right? Yeah. Particularly because those bacteriophages are highly specific to the bacteria that they infect, and they will not actually end up infecting human cells. Exactly. And that's the other, perhaps one of the most important benefits of using bacteriophages to kill bacteria. They are highly specific, and that way the patient can avoid the use of having to use broad-spectrum antibiotics. And broad-spectrum antibiotic means that it is a class of antibiotics that kills more than one species it's of like bacteria. It's like a shotgun approach when right. it comes to killing bacteria. Right. A sledgehammer and, to your system. And again, like a sledgehammer to your system, with the use of a broad-spectrum antibiotic, you're increasing the risk of side effects. Killing the good bacteria as well. Along which is bad, right, exactly. Uh, called normal flora. One other thing... Uh, about bacteriophages is that, uh, as far as we know, uh, there are no known allergic responses to phages. Yes. Which some people have allergies to penicillin, for example. Yes. And they can be produced on the cheap and in relatively large amounts. They're also pretty effective when starting with lower doses because more phages are produced every single time. Yeah, so it's one of those treatment are... methods that amplifies itself. Exactly. The more phages in fat bacteria, they produce thousands and thousands of these phages, right? So naturally, right. the dose is increasing with time. On its, it's, own. it's 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 amazing, right? Exactly. And uh, the other nice thing about bacteriophages is that uh, they can be targeted addressing yes. some poor drug penetration issues, Exactly. Right? Uh, you take antibiotics. In most cases, it's either a pill mm -hmm. or IV. Yes. There's some topical application of antibiotics for a some few. wound, right? Yeah. yeah. For uh, like burn, burn wound, victims, something like yeah, that. Things yes. like that. But for the most part, there's poor drug penetration issues. Mm -hmm. um, some bacteria form what's called a biofilm, mm -hmm. and that's uh, a layer effectively. Uh, of bacteria and bacterial products that uh, make reaching the actual bacterial colonies much, much harder. Yes. Uh, and uh, phages can be designed to penetrate through these. Which, you know, like you had said up to that point, was actually very difficult to do. Right. Now, what are some of the limitations that were even uh, uh, identified back then? So the, it's kind of a good with the bad, right? So the nice benefit about using phages to treat bacterial disorders is that very highly specific, right? But with the extreme phage specificity comes the fact that you would then have to tailor each treatment 
to every individual specific patient. Right, so, so you have to identify the, exactly, not just yep. streptococcus, what strain of streptococcus a patient is infected with. If you're going to use a specific treatment line, right. then you have to make sure and you have to identify what is the specific bacterial species that is causing these symptoms and this disorder. And this particular sort of phage specificity uh, was even mentioned by Felix Derrell early on as uh, one of the drawbacks of uh, uh, phage therapy. Exactly. Um, in fact, some other studies have shown that the body's immune response can actually kick in and clear the phages. Because they're the still a foreign object. They're in your still body. a virus. Your immune, yeah. immune response's job is to clear foreign objects. Exactly. Locate that antigen and guess what? Get it out of there. Right. And as we're going to talk about too, the kind of other uh, possible limitation is the fact that with certain phages, it is possible that you elicit an immune response and cause some unwanted side effects. In yeah, terms we'll of see. We'll see immunity. an example that actually uh, was published uh, just a few months ago. Yeah, relative, very new. Right, and it was a science paper. So uh, not that you know every paper in science is great. Uh, uh, they have a high retraction rate. You know, one of the highest retraction rates out there is. Uh, I think I had heard that Science before. Science nature. That might have actually been from you. That but I I'll, that. I'll, I'll check the stats on that. Or okay. someone can call in, hey, how about you email email the podcast? Maybe, uh, yeah, we'll have a clarification in the near future. <laughs> so but are, uh, uh, before, I, before I forget, yeah. so uh, the issue of the body clearing phages turns out dose or route of administration is important. We'll talk about that in a second, right? But all of these concerns put together led scientists, particularly in the West, to largely abandon phage therapy. Yes. And part of the reason for that is because although resistance to antibiotics was emerging, uh, different classes of antibiotics were introduced. Yes. So we start with penicillin discovery in the 20s, right, and then mass production and introduction to the public in, in the 40s, 1943 or so, tetracycline, and erythromycin came about in the 50s. Yes. Methicillin, gentamicin came about in the 60s. Vancomycin in the 70s. And then eventually in the 80s, what, about mid-80s, right? Uh, yeah, and then eventually you have uh, later drugs, imipenem, uh, ceftazidine. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, but... After that, I mean... It slowed down. Production slowed to yeah. a grinding halt. Pretty much between, effectively, you're looking at uh, the fact that between uh, 2005 and 2018, only three new classes of antibiotics were developed. Exactly. Aside from those, no new ones since the late 80s. Which, I mean, if you think about a timeline here and the treatment with those currently available antibiotics, you're giving these bacterial species all the time in the world, yeah. all the time they need yeah. to eventually become incredibly resistant. Yeah. And, you know, to, to hammer home the idea of resistance, uh, tetracycline developed in 1950 or introduced in 1950, mass usage of it, right? Mm -hmm. First em emergence of tetracycline-resistant Shigella was 1959. Yeah. Methicillin introduced in 1960, methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus 1962. Penicillin-resistant pneumococcus, 1965. Erythromycin introduced in the 50s. Erythromycin-resistant streptococcus appearing in the 60s. Yeah. 
gentamicin introduced in the 60s, uh, gentamicin-resistant enterococcus in the 70s. And you know one example that I love to use in the classroom? Hammering home the idea that antibiotics do not induce resistance, simply select for it, right? Mm -hmm. Because the resistance is, is, is random. Which again is a, it's a very subtle but right. very important distinction. There. Absolutely. There was a case uh, of a, and th the reason they know this is because they had frozen down these samples. They found a penicillin-resistant staphylococcus from the 1940, mm -hmm. even though penicillin was not made available to the general public till 1943. Yeah. So even before the resistance is there, there was a resistant bacteria to it, even before the antibiotic was there, right? Yeah. That hammers home the idea that these bacteria mutate at random, developing resistance to things that may or may not be there, A, mm -hmm. and B, if they are there, then they have an advantage. Yes. So with phage and all these phages, the West abandoned phages, right? They said, okay, you know, this stuff's too complicated. We have antibiotics, they're working. We have first class, second class, et cetera, of antibiotics. And, uh, Why would we? Antibiotics were, as we just described, were basically used, overused, abused. Right. And now we've gotten to the point where the the demand, the production didn't keep up with the demand. I yeah. mean, hardly any of significance have been developed in the past few decades. Right. What, in the past two decades, only four, three, four antibiotics? Yeah, not Somewhere a lot. Around there. But you know who kept on working with phages? Hmm? The uh, Russia, right? Yes. The Soviet Union at the time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the uh, countries of Eastern Europe that fell under its influence. Uh, they did a lot of phage work. They kept working with phages. And actually, a lot of uh, uh, phage uh, studies have come out of these Eastern European countries and the current, today, Russian Federation, right? Now, I know some of the studies there, you know, even though they demonstrated that patients, you know, treated with the use of bacteriophages, um, these different clinical trials, uh, that they eventually did improve and get better. Um, some of the studies maybe actually showed some control results too, meaning that the control treatments showed improvement as well. well and so a some lot, validity lot, concerns, right, right? right? The problem with some of these studies is that even though you're doing a phage study, mm -hmm. uh, the control uh, is still treated with antibiotics because yes. it's unethical not to give and a that's the, human patient. And that's a really, right. that's something that can't be overcome. You Absolutely. can't have, Absolutely. I guess, what would be a true control group. So one of the things that came out, I think in the 80s, uh, a study by Smith and Huggins addressing some of the concerns of phage therapy. And what these uh, uh, guys did, they carefully crafted in vivo animal models where mm -hmm. they showed Phage activity in vivo correlated well with in vitro and in vitro with in vivo, so on and so forth, right? Yeah. They also showed dose effectiveness, meaning a single dose, almost eight doses for antibiotics. They also showed that only the phages are responsible for this antibacterial activity and not any phage-free bacterial lysate, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they also found, and I thought this was interesting, that... Uh, Stomach acid actually uh, ends up uh, killing or reducing or destroying most of these phages. Yeah. But you can mitigate that problem by uh, giving uh, calcium carbonate prior to therapy. 
Yeah, that's cool. I like yeah, that. Exactly. That's really a novel kind of, yeah. you know, preventative measure. I like that. So, but then other studies showed that some phage variants can survive longer in vivo if administered in a different way, IV versus intramuscular injection, et cetera, so on and so forth. And but, go ahead. I was just going to kind of restate that we're talking here about some really good benefits uh, to using bacteriophages. But the thing to always keep in mind is you're still going to have that resistance issue, correct? You can. You're still going to yeah. have the likelihood, maybe not the likelihood, but the chance of a um, development of resistance. That's still well, I mean, here, here's the thing. The bacteria have an equal odd or odds mm -hmm. of mutating against the antibiotic as yes. they are against the uh, phage. Right. You're right. Because it's a random mutation to develop resistance to antibiotic, and it's a random mutation to change the surface receptor that the bacteriophage attaches to. But using the phage, the bacteriophage, you can actually kind of use the phage as a pressure to make the bacteria possibly less virulent or possibly more susceptible to the traditional methods of eliminating and killing right. the bacteria. So there have right? been some theories out there, uh, some studies that support this showing that phages have actually forced the evolution of some bacteria to become less virulent and mm -hmm. more susceptible. So kind of swinging the pendulum right. back the other so way. In the opposite direction, mm -hmm. right? Which, which I thought was interesting. But anyway, we're not gonna dwell on that. No. So the idea was, have phages been used? Yes. The answer is yes. They have both animal models, human cases, or trials. Mm -hmm. They've been used for systemic or septic infection models, GI infections, urinary tract infections, UTI infections, lung infections, uh -huh. and even infections. Uh, uh, skin wounds. Yeah, skin wounds, um, um, certain, I believe, uh, even burn wounds, correct? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Um, local infections. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the nice thing about bacteria versus, uh, not bacteria, bacteriophages versus antibiotics, right? Bacteriophages will kill the bacteria. Yes. That's a bactericidal effect. And that's a key word, right? The bactericidal is that the bacteria dies. Dies. Mm -hmm. Versus something that's called bacteriostatic mm -hmm. that does not kill the bacteria, but maybe inhibits the growth, slows down the growth. And when you're given those two choices, you I obviously bactericidal. Right. Yes. Now, and not all antibiotics are bacteriostatic, right? Some are bactericidal, some are bacteriostatic. Yes. Uh, bacteriophages will effectively disrupt all cellular bacterial processes. Mm -hmm. uh, antibiotics, and antibiotics will disrupt one, 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 one or single two. One. So either protein synthesis, cell wall synthesis, etc., so on and so forth. And another kind of key thing with antibiotics, and you know where these different side effects are always purported, you know, long laundry list of them, is the fact that you, with antibiotic usage, you're going to be disrupting high likelihood of disrupting your own microbiome. Which you will not do with bacteriophages because they only target the bacteria you're intending to target. And that lends itself to the high degree of specificity, of specificity. that the phages are designed for. And they can penetrate and destruct biofilms, whereas antibiotics are not very effective against uh, biofilms. Yes. Now, there are a lot of benefits. Uh, you know, for example, bacteriophages can be discovered rapidly compared to a slow discovery rate for mm -hmm. antibiotics. Uh, so even when, uh, uh, let's say a patient comes in with a bacteria, you isolate that bacteria, find out what phage works against it, uh, give that person the phage. Yes. And at the same time, still test that bacteria for different phages that can also attack it. Yes. In case the patient develops a resistance to then it, you, you can have then the exactly. phage. 
So and then you know normally when when these studies are done, they'll 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 try tens of thousands of different phages. Yes. We're talking an enormous amount being tested oh, yeah. to see which ones are uh, specific. No, it's significant. And um, again, something you had mentioned earlier that um, when I said at the beginning of the episode, you know, phages could eventually make the use of antibiotics obsolete, um, I was erroneous in that statement in the fact that for a kind of full-fledged effect of... Co-treatment is best. Co-treatment is yeah. probably the, yeah. is likely going to be the best yeah. way to go once bacteriophages gain even more prominence. Yeah, and you know, people talk about, oh, it can develop resistance. Yeah, sure, okay, but so can the phage. Exactly. Right? So bacteria can evolve, so can the phage. You know what can't evolve? What's that? Antibiotics. There you go. Unless we evolve them to something else. Right? Yeah, true. But on their own, not capable of doing that. Now, uh, is that, yeah, that's the fan of my laptop kicking in. We'll ignore that. I think we're okay. What about the, we're overheating the system, apparently we should probably, uh, well, I mean, talk less maybe. I'm not, a, I'm not what? concerned. <laughs> what about commercial uses of phages? Have they been used commercially? So they've definitely been used commercially and specifically they've been used for bacterial uh, foodborne diseases. So, so there are outbreaks of all sorts of diseases all over the place, right? Yeah. Listeria found on the outside of cantaloupe, spinach leaves, lettuce leaves, uh, milk products, etc. Uh, and uh, deli meats. what is that? Infant formula, Cronobacter, um, Sakazaki. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I love that name. That's why I said it. Yeah. Um, in milk, uh, Mycobacterium, uh, Salmonella in chicken, milk, seafood, uh, Shigella. Shigella even, yeah. Yep. And then, of course, you have your... Uh, Staph aureus, Staphylococcus aureus. Everyone's which favorite. Is mostly, yeah, everyone's favorite. Um, mostly found in dairy products. So a lot of phages have been used to combat sort of or kill these bacteria on the surface of these things, right? Yeah. And this is not just myth. This is reality, right? The uh -huh. FDA has actually approved uh, phages for food applications. And those There's, are what? EcoShield? These are the brand names, yeah. EcoShield, phage, phages for E. coli, ListShield, for listeria, salmonella, or Salmo salmo fresh. fresh for treatment for salmonella, and then Shiga Shield, which is for Shigella. Yeah, and then there's Phage Guard, uh, which is for listeria, salmonella, E. coli, different mm -hmm. phages, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I like this one, finalize, but lyse is L Y S E for lysis, right? Mm -hmm. E. coli there, agriphage is against uh, xanthomonas and yeah. pseudomonas, and salmopro against salmonella. The problem is, I think, is that most people uh, do not want to see a label that says uh, treated Virus with spurred. viruses. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have a little bit of a hurdle to overcome in terms of market and yeah. uh, customer acceptance. Yeah. Um, everybody looks at those labels, especially nowadays. And the, the word virus in and of itself, of course, has a negative connotation. Oh, yeah, and as course. soon as you see that word anywhere on the label, I don't mm -hmm. care how small you make the font, it will be found. Right. Uh, that's going to turn people off. Yeah, and you know, I think the uh, even though the public is increasingly demanding uh, food free of chemicals or antibiotics, and is focusing sort of more on uh, you know non chemical treated foods, yeah. right? So there might be some room for phage therapy in mm -hmm. terms of uh, food products. I think uh, you're going to have a hard time selling something like you said, virus sprayed 
Well, you know what would be perfect for a public information campaign? A podcast? No, I, oh, you, you beat me. I was going to say, have the line virus sprayed on the label and then right underneath say, for more information, check out the See BioBusters episode 16. There you go. You got it, buddy. <laughs> there it is. There, we just got to get in touch with the FDA. Well, I'm sure that's easy. Um, so that's all, that's all great, right? I mean, you hear all of that and you think, oh, bacteriophages, fantastic, right? Yeah. Uh, except... A little bit of that complication that we There's previewed a, a bit earlier. There's um, a that kink. paper from, um, what, March, April 2019. Yeah, so a paper came out, uh, what is that, four months ago? Yeah. Yeah, four months ago. The paper is titled Bacteriophage Trigger Antiviral Immunity and Prevent Clearance of Bacterial Infection. Yeah. So reading that title, it's the opposite of what you want it to do. But one note and kind of an asterisk here is the fact that the authors of the paper used a lysogenic phage rather than rather a lytic, than lytic phage. phage. So in that case, the lysogenic phage was a prophage that integrated its genomic material right. into the host's genome. So just to uh, uh, give a quick summary of the study, right? So the uh, article link is in the show notes for those that want to read it. And I've also included a couple links. You've included a couple links as well. Yep. Uh, there's an excellent review, uh, but it's in there. So uh, these authors studied Pseudomonas aeruginosa, which is a major pathogen associated with chronic wounds and other infections. And it has a lysogenic phage called a prophage, uh, know, given a name, PF. PF. Right. Yeah. That's a lysogenic phage. Apparently, uh, uh, its production does not typically destroy the host, meaning yeah. that uh, when the bacteria is multiplying, producing more of this uh, phage, there's not a lot of uh, lytic activity. And so when they analyzed their cohort, their group of patients, they found that about 68% of the pseudomonas infected wounds had the, the phage. phage. Yeah. So already there's a pseudomonas strain out there that has in it integrated this uh, bacteriophage. Yes. And it turns out that in those patients that had pseudomonas that had the phage, the phage positive wounds, meaning that uh, uh, the wounds from these patients were significantly older. Like So someone had these wounds uh, for roughly, on average, two years versus half, half a year, year which, in, I mean, which what, four times, four times right. the amount, the time? Yeah. And it turns out that the phage was more common in chronic non-healing wounds. And mm -hmm. they tried to see, okay, what we're observing this in patients. We're observing this in a cohort of humans. Can we replicate this study uh, in, in mice and then get at the mechanism, right? And they found in mice that the phage-positive bacteria the um, phage-positive pseudomonas generated higher mortality. So yeah. increased... They're more infective to start off with, yes. right? They're requiring, on average, 50 times fewer bacteria to establish infection yeah. than those pseudomonas that are phage-negative. Which is quite Which lethal. I, I think is insane, right? Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, they did more morbidity and mortality studies, and they found that these phage-positive bacteria actually uh, uh, generate more mice deaths. Significantly um, higher rate of mortality. Right. And then they wondered about the mechanism, so did I, and they actually did a very beautiful study to ascertain the exact molecular mechanism. I mean, they did a full gamut of, I mean, oh, looking yeah. at oh, yeah. a, a variety of different right. This components. is an extensive paper. Yep. And uh, uh, they found that these phages are taken up by immune cells. Then the phage RNA, whenever it's produced inside the cell, 
is recognized by toll-like receptors, specifically toll-like receptor 3. And they did this by doing knockouts for TLR3. You know, we're not going to get into that. But yeah. for those of you that don't know what toll-like receptors are, they are uh, receptors on the surface of immune cells that help with the detection of infection and of pathogens. And that's part of that very quick Early response type response. of yeah. immune system. Yeah. Yes. And uh, upon activation of this receptor, you induce effectively a series of uh, immune reactions and cascades and responses that eventually lead, in this particular case of this infection, to the down-regulation of immune function. So basically, to kind of summarize that for our listeners, when the phage was recognized, the phage RNA was recognized by these very special receptors ultimately it led to the um, decreased uh, mechanism or function of the immune system. Which led to lack of bacterial clearance of pseudomonas. So here you are actually building that stuff up. You're, you're doing the opposite effect of what you want exactly. in, 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 in terms of using your phage. So what happened mm -hmm. in this case, this reduced immune function led to the suppression of phagocytosis, which is the process by which immune cells effectively eat up foreign objects, yeah. right? And this sort of antiviral response led to reduced bacterial clearance. So again, you are affecting a few different parts or components oh, of the ma Many arms, system. yeah, many arms. The yeah. eating, the different messenger molecules that are used by the immune system to say, hey, we have an infection, you know, be on red alert. Um, everything's being downplayed here. Right. Now, interestingly, they tried to say, okay, can we rescue this uh, immune response? Mm -hmm. So they then uh, performed a really neat experiment where they go in and they neutralize the phage with antibodies. So they generated antibodies against these phages. Effectively, you're pre-vaccinating here. Correct? Pretty much. So they're yes. clearing the uh, uh, mouse model of this uh, phage. And what happened in that case, they observed that that was effective at promoting protection against pseudomonas because then they got rid of that phage that had down-regulated the immune response. So yeah. in that case, the immune response was not shut down. Exactly. Or at the very least, reduced. Yeah. Yeah. Now, a huge caveat here, right? The authors do mention in their conclusion that this is a lysogenic phage and not a lytic phage. And lytic phages have not been reported. Again, I want to emphasize that, and I think we both do. Um, lytic phages have not been reported to inhibit... Yet, at the very least. Yet, um, have not been reported to inhibit these different components of the immune system, such as phagocytosis or the production of these inflammatory immune signaling molecules. Right, right. Lytic phages have been shown to play synergistic role with, with antibiotics in terms of clearance of bacteria. But I think what this is, is this is kind of, you know, like a caution flag during, I don't know, a NASCAR race. I think that's where they use caution flags. I've watched one NASCAR race in my life. That's but one is, more than I have. I bet. <laughs> so this is a little bit of a caution flag that, you know, more research and more studies are needed to verify that, okay, um, you know, what subclasses of these phages yeah. are able to downplay or mm -hmm. uh, uh, not affect the now, immune components of the human body. 
I, I wonder what the data would look like if uh, the same exact experiments from the science paper were repeated with a lytic phage of Pseudomonas, which, you know, they're, they're out there, they exist. Yeah. And uh, I bet you that's probably their next paper. Uh, it would have been really hard and a huge paper to compare lytic versus lysogenic well, this in paper, the same. Yeah, I mean, this paper and the set of experiments they did oh, yeah. was already massive. a massive undertaking. Yeah, massive. A few more years down the road, we're going to see, like you said, another paper on the effects of right. lytic phages. Right. Now, uh, we're closing in on an hour here. Do you have any thoughts, uh, final thoughts to... Uh, why don't we summarize? Uh, how about that? I guess if, on my end, if I had to summarize, it would be that... Well, you um, do have to summarize, so go right ahead. I'm being forced to. <laughs> um, phages are incredibly beneficial, especially when you compare them with the sole use of antibiotics. I mean, the scientific data um, are there to demonstrate that bacteriophages are much more beneficial in treating and killing um, bacteria and, excuse me, and these bacterial disorders compared to antibiotics. Antibiotics, they have that built-in shelf life, right? Um, with these antibiotics, unless more are produced in the near future, they lead to a much higher likelihood of resistance. Yeah, I agree. I think there's uh, there's room for exploring uh, phage therapy. Uh, I don't think it will replace antibiotics. I think it can be used synergistically. Yeah. I do, however, believe that it industrially uh, there's no limit to its use. Mm -hmm. I mean, think of wastewater treatment, right? I mean, oh, you, yeah. uh, you can dump phages on, on that kind of stuff and, no, in, in, in the in billions, that, right? In that regard, once you have the phages produced... Um, that type of treatment becomes fairly straightforward. Yeah. And I haven't seen wastewater treatment reports uh, with phages, but I mean... Uh, well, I, that I sounds like a new, uh, you know, LECOM-sponsored project. By all means, <laughs> treating the way... You know, there are a lot of waterways uh, near here between yeah. Erie, uh, Lake Erie, and uh, they're frequently contaminated with runoffs. Yeah. Uh, I bet you there's a lot of phages there. You could go hunt for phages if you would like. Well, what are we waiting for? <laughs> right. Well, what we do have to worry about immediately, however, is a poster session. Oh, yes. Which is currently happening, and we've missed the first hour of it due to the recording of this episode. But uh, So let's wrap up. I, I, I think there's benefits. I think uh, the jury's still out on lytic versus lysogenic and uh, more studies are definitely right. needed absolutely in that regard. but i think there's a role to play synergistically with antibiotics uh, i agree and at the end of the day uh, it may end up uh, being where you uh, still treat with antibiotics but the dose is much much reduced reducing toxicity antibiotic resistance possibilities etc so on and so forth okay exactly any final thoughts um i don't think so okay and, uh, well, let's wrap up then. We do not... Oh, well, I just bumped into this microphone. Okay, I'll try not to do that. But, hey, we're almost done. Uh, any... Do you want to... Sure, we'll close I'll take us out. Yeah. Um, so you can email us at thebiobusters at gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes. All you have to do is search for The Biobusters. You can use any podcast catcher to download our episodes um, we've had people log in from Overcast, for example, or CastBox, or even um, Pocket Casts. You can listen to our episodes on thebiobusters.podbean.com. 
And I think we even have episodes available on iHeartRadio, which is always pretty cool Last to say out loud. Yeah. yeah, I like that. And I'm sitting here with Delbert Abby Abdallah. You can find him on Twitter at Dr. Delbert. And finally, you can find me at Hallelujah. my reactivated Twitter profile at Fawner916. And of course, I am Christopher Fawner. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Baha Namani for the music. And we will be with you shortly. Uh, yeah, we'll be returning within the next few weeks. All righty. Goodbye. <laughs>